Welcome, Warner, to our third episode of Vet Voices. Uh, I'm pretty excited about this one today. Uh, on the line with us, we have uh, Grady, who is a professional driver with us, uh, and we're going to be chatting about uh, some of Grady's history with the company uh, and what he did in the military, and then also an event that we supported for the Department of Defense POW MIA Accounting Agency back in late June. So with that... I'm Adam. I am a associate director of safety, and I'm also a current member of the Nebraska Air National Guard. Before we dive into that event that I mentioned, let's chat briefly. Let's introduce Grady. Grady, uh, like I mentioned, is a professional driver uh, with us from Spring Hill, Florida. Uh, joined Warner, I think, back in 2013. Is that right, Grady? Yes, sir. January 1st, 2013. Okay. And you came to us in went through our truck driver apprenticeship program, right? Yes, sir. That is correct. Okay. And that's a program that we have that lets vets use their GI Bill, come work for us full time, and then also use some of their GI Bill benefits to get some extra money, right? Yes, sir. Good deal. All right. So you currently drive uh, Operation Freedom 11, which is one of the, you remember everyone deployed red wraps, got 750,000 accident-free miles, You've been recognized as a solo driver of the month. You got a, an acceleration award back in 2019. I think you also got a humanitarian award uh, last year. Is that right? Yes, sir. That is correct. Okay. Shoot. There's not much you have not done in your eight years at the company, Grady. Well, it's certainly been a, an adventure, and I'm, I'm proud to say that I'm uh, Warner Proud and bleed OD green and mm-hmm. Warner Blue. Good deal. So let's talk about that OD Green real quick. So before coming to Warner, 22 years in the Army, is that right? Yes, sir. 22 years, two months, and two days, but nobody was counting. Yeah, not that you're counting. I, so let's start that chat simply. Uh, when and where did you first know you were going to join the military? Well, I knew I was going to join the military as a young kid because growing up in a small town in North Carolina, our high school was so small that we actually had a tractor parking lot. I grew up in the mountains of North Carolina, uh, way back in the Appalachians. And uh, I knew as long as my other uh, cousins and brothers and sisters, we uh, we knew we wanted out of the small town because we were the first generation uh, to graduate high school. And this was back in 1988. So that goes, that says a lot about, uh, you know, life in the Appalachians. Um, so, you know, we, we didn't grow up rich, but we got, certainly the word, we're not poor. Um, you know, we, we did the best we could. Let's, let's go back to the tractor parking lot at the high school. What? Seriously? Sure. Seriously. Um, yeah, growing up in the, in North Carolina, up in the Appalachians, um, Poverty, I, I wouldn't really say we had lived in poverty because we didn't know we were poor. Um, but if you had a tractor, then you were able to make a living and support your families. So what we would normally do is we would be up early in the morning, and if you had a tractor, a lot of people couldn't afford tractors, but they had pieces of equipment that we would be able to use and swap out. So what we would do is uh, on the way to school, you know, we would either cut hay on the way to school, change out our pieces of equipment, and by the end of the day, the hay was ready to be raked, so you'd swap off your cutter for the 
the sweeper and, uh, you know, <clears throat> sweep the hay up, uh, fluff it to where it would dry out. And the next morning, you would hook up to another baler, but you couldn't bail it in the morning, so you had to wait till after school. And whoever had that piece of equipment, you would swap out, and you would bail the hay going back, back home. So that's how we made a lot of our living, along with uh, growing tobacco, um, you know, way back in, in them days. But, you know, uh, I had a good time. Uh, we made our, our living hunting, fishing, um, just doing what we could. You know, we didn't have any of these play dates or anything like that. These <laughs> kids now have nowadays. I mean, uh, we just did the best we could. Well, that's awesome. So from there, from there, you said, uh, 88 graduated from high school. Yep. 1988. We knew our generation, uh, my kids, uh, brothers, sisters, cousins, we all pretty much wanted and out because growing up in that small town in North Carolina, uh, we had one stop sign, but back in them days it said, Whoa. And, uh, I believe nowadays they actually have two stoplights. So (laughs) You know, it kind of grew up a little bit. Um, But being in high school, we did have an ROTC program, which kind of opened my eyes up a little bit. And uh, I knew there was something uh, a little bit better or more challenging than North Carolina because I really didn't want to bell hay and grow tobacco for the rest of my life. So I basically made up my mind one day and walked into the Army recruiting office and said, I'm looking for the first bus out of town. And he pretty much said, come over here and sit down. And that's where we went. Okay. And fast forward 22 years, I think uh, you've got three tours in Iraq, two tours in Afghanistan, a Bronze Star, a combat action badge. 22 years later, that's uh, quite a bus ride. Yes, sir. It, it was a a weird career, I would say, at the very least. I don't think I really had a a typical Army career, um, meaning I really didn't work my military occupation skill like most soldiers do. I joined as a 88 Mike, which is a truck driver, and uh, I actually only drove Army trucks for about a year and a half, maybe two years. And then the unit that I was in, it was the 503rd Transportation Company in Heidelberg, Germany, was slotted to draw down. But I didn't have enough time in country to be able to come back to the States, so I had to find an alternative route or another unit to go to. And I was recommended by my command to uh, go and interview to be a driver for a two-star general. So that's what I did. I didn't know anything about uh, generals. I'd never seen one before. So it was uh, quite a bit intimidating because I didn't know what I was getting myself into. But uh, I went and interviewed. I was hired. And I had no idea the the types of schools that I was in for. You know, I had to go attend uh, personal security detail schools, um, International Bodyguard Association schools. I had to go through uh, BSR, which is Bill Scott Raceway, uh, for the anti-terrorist driving and surveillance detection course. Um, Just all kinds of courses I had to go to to be qualified to drive because I didn't have any idea that 
I would be driving up armored uh, Mercedes and up armored BMWs and up armored Suburbans later on. So a lot of training went into that. So between once you get into that, there's there's only a very select hand few of security drivers out there that are 88 mics. And the boss that I had at the time, he, even though an MP, military police, could have done the job, he didn't believe in uh, soldiers not doing what they were hired to do. But even though he was not authorized uh, an MP as a personal security detail, he was only authorized a armored car and a driver, and he wanted a driver that was MP or PSD qualified. What time frame is this, uh, Grady? When so you joined joined in eighty eight or eighty nine, and then fast forward, what what time frame are we talking about here? Yeah, I uh, actually went to basic training. Uh, my first day of basic was uh, March twenty eighth, nineteen ninety. Okay, uh, I was married uh, five days earlier. Uh, prior to that, to, to my wife of now of 31 years. Um, but this was in 92 when I was uh, nominated to go drive for a two-star general. And, you know, fast forward, I, I drove uh, one two-star, five three-star generals, and one four-star general who unfortunately just passed away about a month ago. So, you know, once you get all the qualifications for those schools, uh, it's kind of hard to get out of it because the Army invested so much money into your training. They want to keep you in those slots. So that's that's how I wound up uh, being what, what I would consider a plain-closed uh, soldier because I, I basically did not wear a uniform for almost 13 years uh, doing that particular job. That's a crazy story and certainly not the career path of most 88 mics no it, it was fun and a little stressful at the same time because you're you're up before the boss is you're in bed after the boss is and sometimes you know no sleep if you have to go do a, re- a reconnaissance of, of where you're going for the next day so okay. I, I enjoyed my time and, uh, you know, after uh, a deployment to Bosnia, driving for the S-4 commander, I did that for 18 months with him. Um, and then more deployments came down the pike. Uh, two with uh, Fifth Corps commanders. I actually drove for General Wallace, um, which went on to be a four-star for TRADOC, and uh, Lieutenant General Ricardo Sanchez, uh, the 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 last commander of 5th Corps before it drew down. Um, but, you know, I had a, a blessed career uh, to be able to do what I did. I would I would probably argue that some of those driving classes are still benefiting you today in what you do with Warner. Is that fair? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The, the, I went through counter-defense, or I went through uh anti-terrorism driving. I've also went through combat vehicle driving to where in case, for some reason, worst case scenario, you actually have to use your weapon to, you know, get out of a particular situation. You know, we were taught that also on how to fight with the vehicle to minimize damage in order to get your, your principal 
you know, from point A to point B safely. And that was my objective. If I actually had to stop to fight, then I failed my mission. You know, if we were under attack or we had a roadside bomb, it wasn't my job to stop. It was our personal security details job, you know, to uh, secure the scene. But it was my job and any other vehicles that were still able to move forward was to move the boss, you know, out of that hazardous fire zone. Fascinating. All right. So let's pivot from Grady in the military to Grady at Warner. Um, as many of you likely know, we participated in a patriotic parade downtown Omaha Memorial Day of 2021. Uh, so just recently here in May, um, as part of our support, we had Operation Freedom Truck Number Nine, which is the uh, Tuskegee Airmen wrap um, in the parade. Uh, at that parade. Uh, a member of the Department of Defense POW MIA Accounting Agency, which is actually abbreviated as DPAA, saw our Operation Freedom Truck and then tracked us down the following week. So real quick, just some history on the DPAA. It's a DOD agency charged with providing the fullest possible accounting for our missing personnel, not only to their families, but to our nation. When American personnel remain captive, missing, otherwise unaccounted for at the conclusion of hostilities. DPAA becomes responsible for determining the fate, their fate, and where possible, recovering them alive, or in in the case that we're talking about today, recovering and identifying the remains of the dead. So more than 81,000 Americans remain missing from the period uh, starting in World War II through Vietnam and the Cold War. Um, so essentially, 40s through the early 90s is the uh, time frame that DPAA is responsible for. So I'll link more info about that agency with the notes when we post the podcast. But long story short, after that patriotic parade, agency called us and asked if Warner would be willing to participate if we were willing to help in transporting 16 sets of military remains being flown in from Europe. So on the 23rd of June, uh, 2021, just here recently, we helped transport the remains of those service members from Lincoln, Nebraska, uh, that big airport that we have down there to Offutt Air Force Base, which is where the agency has a uh, laboratory uh, where they have begun work on identifying each set of remains, uh, enabling not only reunification with the family, but also closure for each of those families. So the 16 service members that we helped uh, transport were all World War II veterans. We helped to bring them home from Germany, France, Poland, and Belgium, where they'd been bur buried up to this point. So they were in graves, but without identification. So Grady, you were down there with us that day. Walk us through how that day went. What what happened? You know, uh, I received a call from Adam asking me if I would be interested in doing such an event. And, and without even thinking about it, it was a, an instant yes, because they, to be able to be, be a participant in repatriating uh, service members from wars so long ago 
to bring them back home on American soil. There was, you know, all the all the polishing, all the cleaning, all the uh, everything that we do to these Operation Freedom trucks came to a culmination, and uh, certainly uh, made everything worth it just to be able to uh, be such a small part in bringing these service members, you know, home. Um, it's this. There's no higher honor than that I could receive than to be uh, a part of that. So lots of cleaning, lots of polishing. You, I, Billy, uh, show up at the Lincoln Airport in, in true military fashion. We showed up early and we waited around for a long time. And it was quite hot that day. Um, and then finally... Uh, C-17 lands. We get to watch the C-17 land taxi come over to our side of the airport that we were parked on with your truck, your trailer, Billy's truck, Billy's trailer. So again, Billy is the Operation Freedom 9 driver. Uh, so we've got Tuskegee Airmen. We've got, remember everyone deployed, very clean Warner White trailers uh, hooked up. Uh, C-17 is unloaded. Um, the sets of remains are transported over to our tractors and our trailers. Uh, we help with that transfer process from the vehicle that they were on to our trailer. Uh, and then once everything was loaded onto the trailer and secured in the trailer, uh, it took two trailers for 16 sets of remains. We had a little bit of extra space, but we went from... Lincoln to Offit, and I actually just had the chance to connect with the laboratory at Offit, uh, and work has begun on identifying those sets of remains, which will be cool to see uh, each of those 16 sets of stories uh, from World War II all the way through to the part that we played in that story to uh, reunification with the family, which is a, it's a, it's hard to state how big of a deal that is to the military community. So there's not, a, there's not many other nations in the world that 80 years after a war are still attempting to recover remains that are left from that war and identify them and, and connect them with their families. Helping those families have closure is, a, is an amazing thing that this country does. So we played a part of that. We should be proud of that. Grady, you should be proud of that piece that you played. So with that, thanks again for your service to this nation. Thanks for driving blue. Thanks for your help with this event. Grady, got anything else you want to add into your story? Uh, I just want to add something real quick. Uh, being a combat vet and having lost uh, brothers and sisters on the battlefields of Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, looking back and just seeing those flags raped coffins, it, uh, it uh, brings back a lot of memories um, and a lot of those families I was not able to uh, you know talk with or be with uh, when their family members came home but just to be able to uh, be a participant and uh, bring those fallen service members home it uh, it really means a lot to me, and I really appreciate the opportunity uh, that I had to participate in that. Absolutely. And uh, keep driving safe. I'm looking forward to when you hit a million miles. Thanks, Grady, for everything you do.